Welcome to Behind the Smoke Podcast. My name is Sean Walchef with Cali Comfort Barbecue. We are recording above the butcher shop. Uh, my man Derek Marceau is not doing well. He is under the weather, uh, but he's a trooper. We know that he will uh, be back. Um, so he's sitting this podcast out. But we have a very special guest that we wanted to bring to you today. Uh, I participated in a Facebook Insights panel. Facebook contacted me um, and asked if I wanted to be a part of an Insights panel. I probably signed a disclosure, said I couldn't talk about this, but this is behind the smoke. Um, if you're first turning into this podcast, we talk about stuff that they typically don't cover in business school. There's a lot of shit that we learned opening up a business, um, running our restaurant, Derek owning uh, Valley Farm Market. We've learned a lot and we failed a lot. And uh, we try to have guests on that are willing to share their journey, how they did it, why they did it, and um, try to find some cool spots here in San Diego for people to check out. But this Facebook Insights panel, I ran into our guest today, Martine uh, Favela of Border X Brewing. We hit it off right away. Welcome to Behind the Smoke, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's pretty cool that I'm um, welcome to the podcast and looking forward to having a chat. So border X, so there was only four people that were invited to this Facebook insights panel and it was actually pretty cool. I was impressed mm -hmm. with face, what Facebook did and you know, I've talked about it on this podcast before, but digital marketing, something that opening a restaurant in 2008, um, I was not on Facebook and I gave my business partner at the time, Corey Robinson, I gave him a bunch of shit for <laughs> being on Facebook. I thought he was just trying to pick up chicks and, um, he wasn't trying to pick up chicks. He was just on there. And once I realized that I was going to be doing most of the marketing for the restaurant, um, I realized that you can open up a Facebook page for our business. And yes. at that time we were struggling, you know, it was very hard to get people to come into the restaurant. Um, we were a new place and we needed to get the word out. So I set up a Facebook page and to think about 2008, <laughs> what's changed on the Facebook admin side for what you can do as a small business owner to, create an event to get people to come in to generate organic awareness to do targeted ads. Um, it, it's incredible. And I think because I've been so active um, in using it, uh, now I have the help of Corey and Brian um, to help our digital team. Mm -hmm. But you obviously were picked as well. So yes, um, are you responsible for Facebook for digital on your for your company? I used to be. It's now been a little bit outsourced to more okay. of a marketer, and we have a dedicated person that has the schedule and the calendar and the events and the promotion. But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, <clears throat> I started on Facebook as a personal thing. I remember going to college and they started opening up just for college people, and it was just a personal, oh, get to meet your fellow college students. So at first, I didn't know what to think about it. But then when we were trying to open Border X, we started very grassroots. We started with very little funds. Obviously, marketing was not a huge portion of it. Yeah. So we looked into Facebook. It was like the baby steps. I think in 2012, we started trying to open it up and we were experimenting with it. And if it wasn't for that free marketing or that free sharing or just friends and family sharing all that stuff and their friends and their family kind of either liking, I mean, like you said, it's evolved so much, but yeah. uh, we've kind of evolved with it. And I think that's why we were invited as well to the Facebook insights. It's because we were trying to use it from the very beginning. We yeah. knew we couldn't spend a thousand dollars, $500, whatever it is to go into magazines or radio or TV. So for us, we understood that social media, that free marketing that Facebook offered. I mean, it was, why not? Why not try it? And why not go out there? And it's been absolutely, it's been huge. And we've been getting great reception. At first, I remember our milestone of like, we have 100 likes, and we threw a huge celebration, <laughs> had like a bunch of beers. Right? And we're like, we're killing it. We have 100 likes. And then we noticed 80% of them were our friends and family were like, maybe yeah. we're not killing it yet. <laughs> yeah, but that I mean, that kind of goes to the power the exponential power of Facebook. And I think, um, you know, just for our listeners, get let us know a little bit about the border X brewing about your guys's story. You know, how do you guys how did this concept come to be sure so border x brewing was a very family like oriented uh family business concept that we've had for a while my brother and i were the ones that started brewing started the business uh we decided to start making beer just for fun uh, my friends uh here in college kind of started home brewing they taught us how to homebrew. my brother being the scientist he is got our homebrew system to such a level that it started becoming super automated we started making more beer than we can drink or share with friends so once we started bringing it to family reunions, come corporate parties and stuff like that, because my brother and myself used to work for Sony before um, out in the corporate world, 
we realized that we had something people liked and people resonated with. Our friends and family at the beginning uh, didn't quite like IPAs, didn't like the stronger beers that craft beer or craft brews had to offer at the time. So when we started doing like our Jamaica or our Blood Saison, we started making like these Mexican-focused ingredients. We started getting a lot of good reception. You with, started bringing in your heritage. Yeah. We started bringing in flavors we knew. I know, for example, to try and make my grandma drink some of our beer, she's not a beer drinker. She's not even a <laughs> wine drinker. She's just yeah. kind of a tequila with a little bit of a, like palomas, just so mixing mm-hmm. tequila and grapefruit soda. So we tried the Jamaica approach. We're like, maybe she'll like this Jamaica drink, this Jamaica beer that we made, and she loved it. We started kind of trying other different flavors that were very subtle and very approachable for people that didn't know craft beer. So my brother and myself kind of understood that we needed to introduce the craft beer world to our friends in Mexico because that's where we, that's where we grew up. We mm-hmm. grew up half our lives there and half our lives here. You were born here in the States? Yes. Yeah. Born in the States. San Diego? My, uh, Chula Vista, yeah. Chula Vista. So awesome. my dad got a job in Tijuana with the company Solar Turbines, so we moved into Mexico. because They're yeah, huge. Yeah. Solar Turbines, huge. We and do they, catering for them. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah my dad awesome. still works with them, but back in the day, that's when we moved back to Tijuana. Okay. Nice. And we grew up there until I was 15, then we came to the States. So I definitely had that cross-border culture. And I mean, now that I say cross-border, I think you kind of see why the brewery is called Border X Brewing is we understood we wanted to bridge that gap between the borders. So we wanted to cross the borders. At yeah. first, it was supposed to be border cross brewing, but we put the X to represent the cross. Um, learning fast that with marketing cross doesn't look very well. So we just started calling it border X and we loved it. And we just kind of, I think that's that cool. X really punches it up a little bit extra, but it's awesome. The, the but whole, it, so it was, it was a border cross to begin with. And then you rebranded to border X. We always had the X in there, but we would call it border cross brewing. And Got then it. some people would come in and say border X. Cause that, that's what they would read. Yeah. So because of that, we decided to be like, well, you know what, let's just go with that. I think we, we all felt that sounded a lot better mm-hmm. that sounded that resonated a lot better and they kind of give it a little bit of that edginess that we wanted to because our beers do have a little bit of, of an edge yeah. like, by mixing our culture our flavors our heritage and everything absolutely so when we brought all these beers to with my family wait my uncle you mean that dad, there's other beers besides pacifico oh man <laughs> we got so much flack for calling our beers real mexican beer really? um we actually put it on one of our banners, uh, our tents, and when we, when we brought it out, some people would be like, well, what makes Pacifico and Dos Equis and Corona not real Mexican beer? I was like, <laughs> do you know what these beers are? They're not Mexican styles. They're not Mexican anything. The only yeah. reason they're Mexican beers... Because they're brewed in Mexico. And that's because the marketing and the companies yeah. that are there, it's like... And they got a lime in it. Exactly. Oh, you have to put a lime in everything. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we like to say that we are real Mexican beers because it's beers made by Mexicans with Mexican traditions, culture, flavors, and uh, we bring it to the Mexican crowd. I mean, anyone, we're bringing it to everyone realistically. But the people we had in mind to begin with were we need to bring all those people that think beer is only lagers, it's only Vienna lagers, it's only ambers. Uh, there's a whole nother world to beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, for us, understanding that these flavors like Jamaica or Chata, uh, Mexican chocolate, the Chocolata Abuelita, all these flavors, people got interested in trying just because they were familiarized with the term itself or the flavors themselves. Mm-hmm. And it really allowed us to open people's minds to what beer can be, sure. not what beer was before. It's interesting. I mean, I think one of the most successful cocktails that we brought on to our menu it's actually made by one of our bartenders, and it's a spicy saladito. Oh, nice. And we use habanero-infused tequila, but it's like the saladito is a Mexican candy that we've all grown up with being here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Like, we would go, and we'd, we'd have a saladito candy. But, you know, those flavors, exactly, what they resonate. Yes. They resonate, and then you cross-utilize that into something like a cocktail or into a, bre- a, a beer, mm-hmm. and now you've got something that, wow, that's something that hasn't been done, that's cutting edge, that's different. Yeah. And if you do it right, that's even better than you hit a home run. Oh, of course. I mean, <clears throat> when we first, it's a good thing you brought up Saladito. That was actually one of our first sours that we created. Oh, really? Saladito sour. Right. Well, it goes uh, with the little salt, the little limeness, and the little, just the natural sourness of a Berliner or a Goza kind of brought out those flavors so it's uh when we would we called it the saladito and people would just order it and they would be like oh man it's like eating that candy like right off uh, mm-hmm. in a drink so it gives it that puckering flavor but still refreshing but just the reminiscing of sure, those flavors absolutely. and nostalgia of all those flavors of well, i mean the up. fact that you had your grandma doing taste tests i mean that tells you a lot because you know my family they're from bulgaria and their drink is rakia rakia is essentially like a grappa you know mm-hmm. like you would have in italy but 
you know, for them, they want to associate with flavors, you know, even in culinary, like they want to associate with flavors that they know and they understand. Yeah. Like the craziest thing for my wife was eating an avocado when she came over here. Oh, man. Because they don't have <laughs> avocado. But I grew up, you know, having grown up in San Diego. Now my wife, you know, her family has come over enough where they love avocado and they want to add avocado to their salad in Bulgaria. Mm. You know, but it's introducing those flavors in baby steps yes. to a new culture, a new tradition, and especially like the border X side. You have a new generation. I mean, think about all the amazing things here and that we have in San Diego being a border community. Yes. And the fact that there is no brewery that was celebrating it until you guys came along. And that's exactly what we found out when we first opened. We actually, well, it was a, a double reason why we called the Border X. We the first location we opened was in Otai, literally two blocks away from the border. You could see the border gate okay. with their first uh, warehouse location. Uh, but at the same time, we understood we're border crossers, myself, my brother, even my dad. I grew up in Mexico and then came here to work and school. He was the first in our family to go to college here in the States and then get a job. So he understood that cross-border, like the power of knowing both cultures, kind of taking the best out of both cultures and mixing it into your own. Mm -hmm. And we learned real quick that everyone interprets that border cross or border... Like, cross-border culture very differently, but there's so many good things that come from it. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to celebrate the flavors. We wanted to celebrate the culture. We wanted to celebrate what that means. And like you were saying, a lot of people were making, maybe putting Mexican chocolate in their beer, but it was just very kind of gimmicky. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to make it the essence of our brand, not just the beers themselves, but even our tasting room. If you have a chance, I don't know if you have had a chance, but our tasting room itself even has a very good blend of what the neighborhood, which we're now on in, in Chicano, or Chicano Park, like mm -hmm. Chicano. Barrio um, Logan. Barrio Logan, correct. Yeah. Uh, we adopted or we took a lot of aspects and we celebrated them in their tasting room. And that's what mm -hmm. we want to do because they also kind of bring that mix of the people that migrated from Mexico or not even migrated that were here and kind of were being taken over by the infrastructure, by the freeways. They fought back and now they really, really celebrate their culture. Yeah. And that's something when we moved into Barrio Logan, we knew that's what we started doing. This place is perfect for us. This is where we're going to be able to make the best representation of who we are. Yeah. I think, you know, for, I first became aware of your brand through Johnny Bolt Pride, who we've had on this podcast when we were talking about Pro Football Ultimate Fan Association, as well as George Recoy, who we had on a separate podcast talking about branding logo, mm -hmm. because they were both they're so connected to the Barrio Logan community and to Chicano Park Day specifically. Yeah. And they've been participating in those community grassroots efforts to celebrate the culture, to celebrate the heritage. I'd love for you to just talk about Chicano Park and, you know, you pick that location. You guys to celebrate and to plant anchors in, you know, it's literally you're putting roots into the community that's been there. Yeah. I mean, this community has been through its ups and downs. Obviously, growing up in San Diego, I think you know that when you were first here at Barrio Logan, let's say 10, 15 years ago, you immediately went to the negative. Absolutely. Like, it's it, the same thing. You, when you, until Petco Park was built, Gaslamp was associated with homeless people mm -hmm. and Spaghetti Factory. Like <laughs> when we opened up the restaurant, the only reason you go to Barrio Logan was to go to Restaurant Depot, mm. you know. But now what's happened, you know, the celebration and the development that's gone on, not from a commercial standpoint, but something that's actually, you know, travel and leisure. Uh, national publication came out and did a huge story. I know you guys have had stories on New York times and LA times. We'll put those stories in the show notes, but they did an incredible job just talking about this urban jungle mm -hmm. essentially underneath the Coronado bridge, you know, and like what's happening underneath this Coronado bridge is something that's special. It's different. It's unique. Oh, it's huge. I mean, we, we are lucky enough to be able to be part of it because the culture in itself has always been there. I think it got lost in a lot of negative, a lot of negativity, but I think in recent years, the community itself has done a lot to build itself up. And we are lucky enough that we were part of that helping uh, celebrate and helping establish Barrio Logan as a cultural uh, identity place, like the cultural place it needs to be. Mm -hmm. The murals have always been there. There's been great artists. It all started, well, back in the history, it started around 60s to 70s when they were fighting uh, the city to not put junkyards to not put freeways to not intersect that and just turn it into an industrial zone mm -hmm. they wanted to keep their roots they fought for chicano park which is why you see all these murals you see the kind of like the uprising the um just holding true to what they wanted to at least beautify their space they don't want it to just become an industrial sector even though both the five freeway and the coronado bridge kind of intersected and separated the community they still held ground and created this awesome space which is chicano park um we moved in the neighborhood like four 
four and a half, almost five years ago. And we were invited by uh, La Bodega Gallery, which is one of those first places that started fostering all the artists and all the muralists and everyone that was already there and kind of giving them a platform to be able to display their art to a lot of different people. We were lucky to get invited there to just serve our beer. Uh, I think our beer really resonated with what we're trying to do too. <clears throat> and we really wanted to be there as well. So mm -hmm. it was it was a great meeting of both them with the activities that they were doing and our beer and our brand that we were trying to do as well. And I even think Chicano Park helped us kind of refine our brand even more because I think the influences in the community, the, the community feel, the community support, everything that they were doing there helped us really understand and justify that what we were doing was right. We needed to create this space to celebrate as well. Mm -hmm. And within the four last years, we've seen a lot of growth in this street. And um, it's really nice to see that it hasn't been growth that comes from the outside. A lot of community members, when we first opened up, it was us. Salud Tacos and uh, Milo that now has a coffee shop at Por Vida mm -hmm. and La Bodega, which kind of that there was a little corner space where from there, all the people that were involved kind of either branched out and expanded and developed the street even a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And now you see it, you walk down, you have uh, art crawls every second Saturday of the month. And you see a lot of people appreciating the culture, seeing different artists, trying the tacos, trying the beer, the coffee. There's a lot of good stuff now. I mean, it's always been there, but now it's really being highlighted and celebrated. I think part of the, you know, the, the things that seem to be the most successful in this day and age are when you celebrate the village. You know, people before used to work so hard to, you know, try to go to a corporate model where, you know, we would go out to these big box retail stores and, you know, you didn't really care about the things that happened in your community. Yeah. And now the more the companies and the brands that are looking to celebrate and looking to stay local and looking to celebrate, how do we create a festival? How do we do something that really shows that we we don't care just about our business our four walls we care about everything that happens outside you know it's one of the things we talk about with our staff is just because you work inside cali comfort barbecue doesn't mean that we don't care about troy street mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we don't care about spring valley it doesn't mean that we don't care about east county doesn't mean we don't care about san diego like you have but you got to start in the you got to start from the from the very small and then you know build your way out and you only do that through action of course you know you can't just say you're going to do it you actually <laughs> have to do it you know you have to be seen doing it and i think that's one of the reasons we were welcomed very well by the neighborhood is <clears throat> we realized we needed the support of the community we needed to support everyone around this so we started hosting a lot of fundraisers we would put up the art of local artists on our walls for free they could sell it no commission I, I see it as a double benefit because they beautified our space. I mean, they, sure. they got amazing pieces in there and they were able to put their pieces in a lot of more eyes than just their friends and family. So for us to be able to give them a platform to sell their pieces, be profitable, and at the same time, beautify our space. I mean, I think it was a win-win a for both of us. And being involved in the community like that, the beginning phases, I think was really great. And then we started realizing we need to create some fundraisers either for local nonprofits, for um even politicians that were coming from Barrio Logan or trying to support Barrio Logan. So any of these fundraisers, community events, uh, we created Chicano Con when Comic Con is happening. Cool. Because we understood not a lot of kids from the Barrio Logan neighborhood could afford the tickets to go to Comic Con, even though it was a mile away. Sure. Uh, so for us, we realized, all right, let's let's celebrate what's our culture. We brought in Latino comic book artists. We brought in, um, we gave out free comic books for the local kids there. And we just created an atmosphere and an environment that they could go to, even though it wasn't necessarily Comic Con. We wanted to celebrate a little bit of our culture as well, even when, when that was going on. So I think that's huge. I think, you know, a lot of times... I mean, we find it with the Spring Valley Barbecue Festival, but, you know, partnering and finding ways to get involved in ancillary events, you know, just because your business isn't, let's say, on the festival way, you know, exactly where the thing is, doesn't mean that you can't get involved and yeah. celebrate. And how can you help that festival? Because maybe they need space for a meeting, you know, the day before it happens, whatever that might be. It's about getting involved. Yeah. If you just sit back and you go, oh, well, that festival's creating traffic and now that's going to ruin my normal day of business. That's just the wrong mentality to have. It is. It's how to get, like you said, how to get involved, how to put in your own two cents, how to be, how to enhance the events that are going on instead of just kind of either riding the, <clears throat> the craze train because you are part of that mm -hmm. event or that festival. But at the same time, how do you enhance it to bring people that are already going to that that may be interested in what you're putting on as well. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things when when you go to any event and you see there's a lot of different brands or companies, you know, whether it's a beer tasting or whether it's a food tasting, you know, we partner with lots of different people and we go and we do all different kinds of taste of La Mesa, mm -hmm. you know, a Yelp, you know, a lead event, whatever it might be. And 
who you send to that event, how they represent your band is either going to be a benefit to the event and a benefit to your business or a detriment. Yeah. You know, and it's better to not send them if they're going to be there lazy looking on their phones. I mean, I can't tell you, I went to a farmer's market in little Italy with my wife, my son and my mother-in-law and it was packed, Mm -hmm. absolutely packed. But even when it's packed, guess who was the busiest? The busiest were the merchants that had attention to detail. They cared about their branding. They cared about their signage. They were actively talking to customers. They were mm. actively looking them in the eyes. And the ones that were slow, where do you think they were? Their heads were down in their phone. Yeah. They didn't want to be there. Just behind a counter. Just, just behind the there. counter. They were just there for the transaction. You know, exactly. And it's like you can either be a part of something or you probably just shouldn't even be doing it. You know, <laughs> That's very I true. mean, it's, it, it's the honest truth. Can you tell us more about uh, your new expanding interests in LA? Yeah, we're Los really Angeles. Super excited! Uh, it's been a been hectic. Been driving up and down <laughs> LA uh, to San Diego twice, three times a week. Not necessarily just me, but all the owners. Uh, but we're really excited. I think uh, Bell is one of those other areas that we realized <clears throat> we wanted to expand to. We saw the demographics we saw in LA. Same thing. I mean, LA I think is what, where San Diego used to be five, six years ago, mm-hmm. as far as breweries go. It's barely coming up in a craft beer scene and uh, realized we need to not necessarily replicate, but expand the reach that we have with the current concept and bring it up to Bell. Bell is, I think, last time I read like 95, 96 percent Hispanic. So it's a so very, the city of Bell. Give us a geographical kind of where where is it located in the city of it's uh, well, it's the city of Bell. So we're in Los Angeles County. Got it. So if you think about downtown LA, you go south and then east. So southeast about five miles, okay. you're right there. So okay. you're like 10, 15 minutes away from downtown LA. So southeast of downtown LA. Okay. So it's uh, very close. I've actually made a couple of trips to downtown. It's not that far. But we once you see that area, I mean, it's had its history. I think Bell had a, like a But you said five scale. miles? Like five miles southeast. Oh, yeah. That's not far at all. No. You I can, mean, we're... We're 10 miles away from you. Exactly. From, we're 10 miles away from Petco, so we're, we're, we're right close. I mean, that's close. Unfortunately, with the traffic in L.A., sometimes <laughs> it could be a little bit longer Unless than expected. Unless you have a helicopter, <laughs> right? But no, we're super excited. This community, uh, we've been part of their uh, Bell, just had, the city of Bell just had their 90th anniversary a year ago or okay. a year and a half ago. And they closed down three, four streets. They had a stage. They had bands and MC, and they needed a beer garden and we were we were kind of like top of mind which was amazing awesome we were able to already meet a lot of the community to meet a lot of the people that are in the city of bell got to meet the city council the mayor a lot of the politicians there i mean it's a small city but it's always great to have the backup and the uh the support of the local community the city and we got to see everything i mean the music they were playing people at first it was the same challenge we got here in barrio logan people like came to our little uh, beer garden and they were asking, well, do you have a Corona? Do you have a Dos Equis? Do you have Tecate? And we're like, well, not necessarily, but yeah. here, let me give you a taste of this. As soon as they started trying our beers, again, the same impact we had over here is seeing those eyes being open to the craft beer world. It gave us a lot of excitement that um, and the reception, that, the reception wasn't like, what is this? It was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I think that's part of the coolest thing is that you're you're bringing craft beer to a community that doesn't know about craft beer. Yes. That's outside of the beer community mm-hmm. that's going to come to you anyways because yes. you're doing something different, unique, and amazing. So they're going to come to find you. Oh, of course. It's celebrating. It's bringing that to the community to say, hey, this is yours. And that's exactly what we want to be is uh, we noticed we Googled also uh, just breweries. We were like, all right, we are thinking of moving into Bell. We're going to Google breweries around Bell. There seems to be a magical halo around the city of Bell, like a three-mile radius all around Bell that there's no breweries, no tasting rooms, no no one seems to want to go into that neighborhood. I mean, I don't blame them because I don't think <laughs> I don't think they understand. It's not necessarily a struggle, but if you go in there and just say, here's your IPAs, here's your sours, here's your stouts, but don't really explain what that is in a way that they understand it, mm-hmm. you're not going to get that great reception. Absolutely not. And a lot of people kept thinking, well, maybe the Hispanic community, because they earn less, the demographics, maybe the household demographics, maybe doesn't earn as much. We're not going to go in there because craft beer is for people that have disposable income. And we've learned that that's not the case. Barrio Logan probably has the same level of household income, but you get the same amount of support. Mm-hmm. And our beers are very approachable. $20, you can get tacos to a couple of beers and have a great night with music. Yeah. And I think that's where we realized is we want to make this community, we want to make, like you said, we want to make Barrio Logan, or sorry, Border X Bell be 
the community's place to gather, be part of the community, be a third place for a lot of people there that just want to have a place to have fun, to go, to identify as, yes, this is part of my, this part of my city. That's awesome. And I think that's that's really exciting. It's, it's incredible. The amount of just press that you've gotten because you're doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing it authentic. You're doing it. What's true to you, your heritage, what's your family has gone through, what you are going into these communities and saying, Hey, let's celebrate us. Mm -hmm. Let's celebrate life. Yes. You know, and like, that's part of the, you know, Derek and I, we talk about on the podcast a lot is we we do the same thing with barbecue. You know, we do it with barbecue. We do it with food. We do it with sports. Um, You know, being able to go and be a part of something is really what life is all about. You know, something that where we can go and we can celebrate and, you know, talk about a little bit about your family and how they've embraced this because family business is difficult. Oh, man. Yeah, we've learned a lot. <laughs> it's very <laughs> difficult to parse out job responsibilities, who's responsible for what, who does the podcast, who brews the beer, who you know pays the insurance, who deals with this. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, well, the first thing when we opened the brewery was my uncle and my dad, myself and my brother, are the four that started the brewery. And the whole concept behind it was we wanted a family business. My dad and my uncle have always wanted to start like a, a, a business of their own. And as soon as they saw my brother and myself having a passion for brewing, I think we all said, all right, let's put our four of our heads together and let's get this started. Let's see what we can do. We had no, what would you say, a super formal business plan, mm-hmm. the separation of duties. My brother was more of the brewer. I was a little bit more of the finance person. My uncle was more of the uh, marketer and my dad was a little bit more of the hands-on engineer. So it it really helped that we had kind of complementing um skills and the first thing that we learned is that even though we started this business as a family business to get to know each other a little bit better we soon realized we were getting to know each other a little bit too well (laughs) (laughs) so we were talking every day we're sometimes saying like oh my god why are we why are we on the phone every day why are we talking to each other so much but i mean it's crucial for a business yeah it's day-to-day we can't just say oh we're going to meet every tuesday and then we're making going to make all the decisions there um, I mean, it's still a struggle even to this day uh, to see what exactly what responsibility falls to who. Mm-hmm. Like, even though we've separated myself being more of the operations, my uncle being more of the marketer, more of the voice outside of the company, my brother being more of the science and the beer aspect. But even then, there's always those gray areas where we still kind of step on each other's toes. And, sure. and the good thing is about the family business and being that my family, even before that, would always get together for gatherings. My grandparents have always been a really solid foundation. Um, for us to meet and gather and talk. So we've always had a pretty good relationship. And I mean, like I mentioned, there's always those struggles. There's always those little fights. There's always those little pain points. But uh, we learn to kind of talk them through. It's un- I don't know if it'd be different if it's just another person that I would be like, well, I don't agree with you. So I'm just going to not, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care if we hurt our feelings. Like we're family first. Yeah. So if we're going to try and do a business decision that's going to upset one or the other, we really got to talk it through and understand that we're all comfortable with this decision. Because whether this business becomes a home run, a humongous success, national brand, or it fails and sinks because we were too ambitious and we Mm -hmm. made the wrong choices, at the end of the day, we're still family. Sure. And I think that dynamic of understanding who we are, um, working through those little kinks, it has its ups and downs, but I think it's kind of helped us remain authentic to who we are. We haven't swung too wildly in one direction or the other. It's always been kind of the core values of the family have stuck with the company because we always try to agree with each other. Yeah, I think one of the things for Derek and I is we make a promise to ourselves to always have an uncomfortable conversation (laughs) and it's so much better to have that uncomfortable conversation than to let whatever it might be you know whatever feeling it might be whatever because business is millions of micro decisions yeah that's all we're doing is every single day this decide it yes no do it don't do it and they all compound on each other and one of them might not be the right mistake but if you're not willing to go and say hey that was my fault i take accountability for making the wrong decision, but also, mm-hmm. Hey, I don't feel right about that. Yeah. You know, and Derek and I, we are both willing to essentially be naked in front of each other. Like if you're not willing to do that, then something's going to be, Oh, well, someone's hiding something from someone else, you know, and that, especially in the family dynamic, it happens as well. You know, it's like, 
well, this person doesn't think that. And then you go to the family reunion and now that family reunion is much more awkward. Oh, super uncomfortable. We <laughs> Those first couple of years, I know there was definitely some resentment because we didn't open up to each other as much as we should. Sometimes we did harbor a little bit of that resentment mm-hmm. or like I didn't feel strongly about this decision. So I'm just going to hold my tongue and I'm not going to yeah. say anything. Holding their tongue and not saying anything is probably, like you said, it just builds that tension, that uncomfortableness, and that family reunion just becomes a lot more awkward. Sure. Being more open, being more more raw when it comes to, like, this is what I'm feeling, and then just kind of powering through the logic and making sure we all understand where we're coming from just makes it a lot easier for us to understand. It's not that we're making a decision out of hate, out of spite, out of anything. No. It's like we all want the business to succeed. Yeah. We have our own little unique ways of doing it. We all have a general idea where we're going, but there's always going to be a little bit of differing opinions. My brother and myself are two different, humongously different people. He's more of the scientist and more of the let's just try and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what worked at the beginning. A lot of our recipes, he was trying to stick to something. I was like, well, don't research it. Let's just do it and see what happens. Obviously, I didn't just wildly say it. I knew some background in brewing as well. But <clears throat> that even that dynamic at first, we accepted what we were trying to do. Like the beers I would make would be more experimental. His beers, still experimental, but a little bit more stuck to research and everything mm-hmm. like that. Then my uncle, same thing. He's a little bit more aggressive when it comes to the business decisions. My brother and myself, a little bit more conservative. So even within brothers, within uncles, within everything, like it's, it helps. It actually helps having those differences because it pushes you out of, or puts you in an uncomfortable situation out of your comfort zone to yeah. try and grow and to try to deal with things you normally wouldn't. Absolutely. So you came with gifts. Yes. Let's talk about the beer. So if Derek was here, he would be very fired up to be drinking these beers but my producers they uh have stepped up <laughs> Corey and brian they will mm. gladly uh drink the beers but what would you bring us awesome so i brought three of our top sellers as of now uh the first one we cracked open and the one we're drinking right now is called the pepino sour so pepino sour i've pe- read about it pepino Sounds sour amazing it's very low alcohol 4.4 well low alcohol comparatively to the most of our beers it's at 4.4 percent it has cucumber and key lime it's uh, Berliner-wise, which this means it's a kettle-soured beer. It's a young sour. There's a difference between young sours and old sours. So it doesn't give a lot of kind of those funky cheese flavors. It has just more of that tarty, refreshing flavor to it. Um, so this one, the reason we created this beer, uh, our, head met brew, our head brewer that recently uh, moved to another opportunity, but he created this beer with the idea of uh, like cut cucumbers with lime and salt. I don't know if you ever had that dish, but it's a very popular appetizer that you go to even taco shops in Mexico. Mm -hmm. They give you little plates of cucumbers with lime and a little bit of salt. And that's where this came about. It's like that little juice at the end that you may be able to drink out of the plate. It's exactly what we wanted to recreate with this beer. That's awesome. Then the next one that we brought is our Blood Saison. This is one of my, I guess the proudest beer that I have is this one because it's my recipe. It's my baby. I've been brewed in three or four years, so the fact that this beer is still existing, <laughs> it's still there, is that's great. my. Ba- It'll always be your baby. <laughs> yes, um, this was our first flagship that we realized we're pushing boundaries. We're kind of transforming the ideas of what beer could be with this beer. Uh, it's called Blood Saison because of the color that it has. is a blood red um, beer. It's not blood orange. A lot of people confuse it. It's hibiscus and agave. So it's like agua de Jamaica that you drink out of a taco shop. If you always go to taco shops, they have horchata, Jamaica, and like tamarindo or something different. This is the Jamaica one. This is the red water. It's a little bit sour. The saison gives it a little bit of a little bit of a funk, but a little bit of refreshingness. It kind of gives it a little bit of esterous. It's kind of like a little bready taste to it. Uh, but the agave also gives it a little bit of sweetness. So this beer is kind of like a palate opener for many people. Um, when we first started getting people into our tasting room, the fact that it's a Jamaica beer made a lot of people want to try it. They're like, I don't know. I love Jamaica. Let me try a Jamaica beer. People love it. The biggest surprise was uh, normally guys, stereotypically, guys would bring their wives, their girlfriends, their friends that were women. They would come in and they're like, I'm just here with my friends. I'm just sticking along because it's on our day out, but I'm not a beer drinker. I'm a wine drinker. And at first, we didn't have the license for wine. So we were like, well, we're sorry. But we thought about it. We're like, well, we're not sorry. Try this. Maybe you're just used to your lagers. You're just used to like strong IPAs. You're not used to a flavor that's very approachable. Once they tried this beer, the Blood Saison, which is a 7.5% beer, they realized they actually liked it because it has a little bit of tartness, a little bit of sweetness. And like it kind of developed a vocabulary that we like to say it's a mix between a beer and a wine. So the redness of it already appeals to the wine drinkers. 
And when you drink it, it does have a little bit of that dryness, a little bit of that kind of wine flavor that you like that wine drinkers love. And it doesn't have that beery. I, I mean, I still don't know what that beery flavor people talk about. I mean, I understand it. It's kind of the, that lager, coarse, uh, bud, like those. Those I haven't flavors. had a drink in five years, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of women came in here Absolutely. saying, "I don't like that flavor," and we're like, "We'll try this." I would say seventy to eighty percent of the time, we would give them a little sip. They would order a pint, mm-hmm. and that was the first transformative effect that this beer had not only did it appeal to our target market it appealed to women and even guys loved it and the high alcohol content mm-hmm. makes it a very refreshing beer for the summer so it's been our flagship ever since and it's still pretty high up there if not most of the time it's our top seller still it'll be in bell yes they all got it. Yeah, well, <laughs> my baby will be in bell <laughs> my baby will be everywhere it, it will never will die that's awesome <laughs> and, and then the, the last one that we brought uh, i know i mentioned the three waters that you would see at a taco shop yeah horchata the jamaica and the tamarindo the horchata here is an horchata golden stout it's also another creation this was a creation of another brewer that started with us um it has cinnamon and a vanilla bean in it and it's a golden stout in a way that it's a heavy kind of like a blonde so it's a very drinkable beer without any bitterness and it's it just a lot of people say it tastes like horchata. I say it tastes so like horchata. So for the people, we we're lucky to have people that listen all over the world. Tell That's them right. about horchata because horchata is something until you've had it and you see it, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have it. But once you have it, it is unbel- it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. So horchata is a rice-based drink. So it's a lot of uh, – it's just – it's like – Kind of like rice water in a way. So it's very creamy. It's almost milky. It has that cinnamon kind of complementary flavor to it. And it's just, yeah, it's a, an amazing kind of rice drink, I would say. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, I don't know if I can find a better way to describe it. It's If you've ever had rice It has pudding, cinnamon in it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it okay. has cinnamon. It doesn't have vanilla, but the, the, the rice itself and the lechera that they add to it, it's kind of like a condensed milk most of the time. Mm-hmm. That adds a lot of creaminess to it, and it kind of becomes a... I mean, I hate to say it this way, but imagine like a frappuccino, like a very milk, not a frappuccino, a coffee, a very milky latte with a little, well, a lot of sweetness that has kind of like a rice background mm-hmm. to it. So it's, it's it's supposed to be served chill. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's other versions of horchata, not necessarily horchata, that are served a little bit warm, but horchata in itself is traditionally served uh, cold. And it's... does your family make their own horchata? No, that's one thing we've never done. We've made a uh, poncho de frutas, which is another holiday drink. We made a lot of different drinks, but horchata has never been one of those uh, staples. If we had a family recipe, trust me, we'd be making that. <laughs> uh, we'd be branding Maybe it. Maybe for the next recipe. generation. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this one is a 9.5% alcohol. It's a really strong beer, but it doesn't have that strong flavor to it. So okay. a lot of people drink one or two pints thinking they're drinking a normal beer, and they soon get that that punch of like, oh my God, I can't can stand well because it i'm definitely drunk now but it's still very drinkable it's uh, again it's on par with the blood saison as far as how much it sells and it's been in one of those one of our older beers as well that's kind of stuck around with us a lot awesome and as far as fundraising goes when people want to start a business what uh what kind of successes and failures have you guys found finding so- money we started the business like i mentioned with the four of us being a family business uh I think we put like, it was $20,000 between the four of us just to start the concept. It's a very small uh, two-barrel system so that in, if two, I think it ends up being, what's that, 15.536. So it's like 60 gallons at a time. So it was very, very small. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of beer. Um, so that's what we started with. And we soon realized we were running out of beer real quick. Uh, that was our first... People like to say it's a good problem to have, and it was, but we <laughs> we soon realized we needed funding and we needed some way to uh, to come up with money. At first, it was self-funded by owners. Luckily, we were all in a corporate job before we, co- we quit to become this full-time. So we were able to put some money to invest into bigger fermenters, bigger equipment, moving into Logan. So first, it was very funded by the members, by Just the bootstrapping. owners. bootstrapping. Correct. Yeah. And then we had a very good streak of success in our smaller operation in Logan, and we started kind of self-funding it with the profits that we were making, but it still wasn't enough. Luckily enough, we found a fifth investor that we have now. His name is Mike Fuller. He saw the vision that we had. He saw what we were doing. He saw the beers. He saw the potential. He invested a lot of money for us to be able to move into the spot that we have right now in Barrio Logan, 2181 Logan Avenue. It's a bigger space. It's 
four times the size that we had before. So we were biting a lot more than we could chew, I think, at that point. Yeah. But we were lucky. We found someone that came to us. We weren't looking. We kind of, He kind of just started talking with us, and he was super interested, trusted our brand, and I mean, I think it's paying off right now, hopefully. Sure. Um, but yeah, we, we, the first success we had was him. Uh, we were, I can't say this was skill. This was pure luck. Quite be an uh, act of coincidence, but it was great. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have that. But now for the city of Bell, we realized this, this is not going to be an easy find. This is not going to be, oh yeah, we're just going to self-fund it ourselves. Opening up a location from scratch, from zero, a big warehouse to, well, not even warehouse, just a big space. To retrofit it with a brew system, with everything that we can do, we needed to find different ways of funding it. We approached banks. Unfortunately, because we're a small business and we were growing, we were reinvesting everything we were making. So our P&Ls, our balance sheets, our taxes never showed any profit, even though we were showing exponential growth year sure. after year. Well, you just keep putting it back in. Exactly. Yeah. And even you though can't we, explain that to a banker. No. And then we were saying, it. hey, yeah. man, like we are growing a hundred percent, sixty percent, one hundred and twenty percent year after year. It's gonna keep going. Like we have this plan, we have this business plan, we have this projections. They don't care anything about that. All they want to see is your tax returns. All they want to see is your P and Ls and your balance sheets. And if the numbers don't jive, they don't care what you're gonna do in the future, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing we learned is we were in that gray zone of being successful but still not showing a track record of profitability. So they wouldn't. They wouldn't release any money to us or mm-hmm. trust us with any money. We started approaching all the banks, smaller banks, but they, it was always the same response. Then luckily enough, I think last year, there's a crowdfunding kind of platform that opened up. It used to be, I don't know if it's legal, but it didn't used to be a common practice. And we started, what crowdfunding means is that you don't have to be a certified investor. So you don't have to prove how much you're making. You don't have to prove that, like pretty much, unless you reach a certain amount of investment. But this crowdfunding allows your community, your friends, your family, anyone to go in and invest in your platform or in your business through this platform called WeFunder. So they become kind of the middle person. They're essentially the ones holding the ownership, but they deal with the with the investors, and then they're the only ones that deal with us. So it That's kind great. of so allows, yeah, it's amazing. So creating an escrow almost. It's you know a separation between the amount of investors plus you can get more investors that way exactly because they already have other investors that are and it's digital which we love oh it's man it's way easier change to sell so a concept much. you know when you guys can prove you know what you've not only what you've done in a PL statement but you can also prove it through everything that you've done digitally yeah which is your brand now it's and i think it resonated very well as soon as we showed showed the numbers we showed all the publications we showed what we were about what we were trying to do a lot of people loved what we were doing, saw the the potential, I think. And luckily, because of the platform, two clicks away, put your name, your contact info. and So did you get the you. publication? Did you get all the press before you did the funding? Or was it after, did you get it because of the funding? Oh, no. We got it a little bit of both. But I would say we had a lot of publication even before the funding. How did you get the publication? Whew, I, I think that goes back to... Like kind of being true to yourself and doing something different. I mean, that's always kind of been something we always strive for is not following the trends that everyone else does. So the publications we started, the first time we got a lot of attention was because of our Chicano Con. When we started creating those opportunities for the local community to still have comic books, to still understand what comic creators do, to bring panelists that are Latino. So that just that in itself. Were you doing? Were you you sending out press releases? No, we. So this was all organic. All organic, like truly organic. Yes, this was. I think we did send it to like maybe one news station to see if we could be part of it, but the majority of it was organic. They started. Yeah. They started somehow. The word got out. The right people saw it. The, the Facebook event was there. One publication wrote about it. Another publication saw it. So they wanted to write about it. Uh, the first year wasn't as like we got a couple of pieces. The third year, I think that's when we started getting like a lot of attention to what we were doing. And I mean, it's that. It's the beers we're making. It's the events we're creating. It's just being a good person, I, a good company, being yeah. good, you know, being a good neighbor, <laughs> caring, we giving hope. a shit. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all that's showing so many that people you care. don't give a shit. Yeah. And you're like, approach every single day like you care, that you care about people, you care about your brand, you care about your product. If you do that, chances are it might take care of itself. It's going to be a lot of bumps along the way. Oh, yeah. It's always doing something different is never, well, 
it's easy sometimes, but you always run into those big hurdles. Sure. Uh, the biggest differentiator, I think, that made us stand out was also, luckily, our logo. Uh, we got written about by, like, the West Coaster about when there were 100 breweries in San Diego, they said five examples of how to do your logo well and five examples how to do them wrong. We're like, awesome. oh, man, we really oh. hope we're not, we really hope Did we're we, not on the bad part. Yeah. Uh, but we were on the good side. We It seemed like our our logo itself, if you've ever seen it, it's kind of like a, if the the god of the dead of the my of the calendar Aztec calendar uh so the hoop earrings the tongue the skull face and then the top of the face or the skull is uh the hops so the little hop cones is nice. the, what's coming out of it so this was uh, a, a a work done by one of our neighbors in tijuana when we were growing up he became a graphic designer and awesome. he was amazing in doing that just the simplicity the impact that it has kind of that wow factor i think the biggest criticism we got from our logo and I agree 100% is that our name around it is a little bit too light. It's You can't really read it. but Or you can't read it, but it's not as impactful as a middle logo itself. So it could have uh, been done a little bit better. But we were lucky enough. That was kind of our first things that kind of got us out there. And then our, I won't say refusal, but our fight against the tide of not making... 80% of our taps IPA was definitely another differentiator that got us in the map of what, how you mean all your taps aren't IPAs. No, I mean, that's it's it's, like <laughs> so, so on trend in San Diego. It's uh we, <laughs> we knew we weren't the best at making IPAs. I mean, that's also another learning curve. We came as home brewers to a market where there were already so many amazing beers. If we try to fight every other brewery that was super established with IPAs and being like, no, we're the best IPA. Yeah, we probably could have done it if we really stuck to our guns and did that. But we saw, hey, let's use our competitive advantage and what we know, what our culture is, what we can bring to the table and bring these different flavors. The flavors themselves actually got us a lot of attention locally. So the West Coaster, the Reader, the Union Tribune, like all these places kind of started writing about us because we were doing different flavors, different things, different events. We brought music into our tasting room. Uh, just being authentic to our culture, authentic to what we're trying to do, and not just following the trend. I Did mean, you get any negative feedback? Oh, humongous. Really? Uh, first, because our beer I mean, and I'm the first one to admit, our beer quality when we first opened wasn't the best. It was. We definitely had a lot of room for improvement. It's and a new palette. Yeah. Well, that and to be, uh, to be completely honest, our equipment wasn't the best. Until mm -hmm. we got the equipment we have now, we've been able to really replicate, hone in, and perfect our beers to the level that we want them to. We got a lot of flock from the beer community at the beginning, because uh, rightly so, our beer needed some improvement, even though we had different flavors. It's still the core essence of it needed improvement. Uh, and then we also got a lot of flack by people that on craft beer forums, on forums themselves that said, oh, these guys don't have IPAs. How can they not have an IPA? Mm -hmm. And they, we got a lot of negative attention because so of that. So what did you do about it? We just kind of kept to our guns and said, well, we don't have IPAs, but uh, we do have all these other amazing beers you guys can try. And they're different. They're approachable. And I'm pretty sure you're going to love them. We do have an IPA, but we created... Well, you, so you're responding. Yes. By saying that. You weren't we, just ignoring it. You actually were actively. Not on social media. On social, social media, media, we would. Sometimes we would post being like, we're sorry, we don't have an IPA. Mm -hmm. well, here is like, we would respond. We don't have, we do it with a purpose. We yeah. are not going to try to fight the market with another IPA. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to try and sell to bars. Be who you are. Yeah. With another IPA that, in our honest opinion, we are not known for that. And we don't want to be known for just yeah. being the best IPA in town. We want to be known for just having a great plethora and portfolio of beers that stick true to our culture and stick true to who we are mm -hmm. um we do have a session ipa now and we created it with the reason that of like it's not that we not want to make an ipa but we want to make an ipa that's approachable to the non-craft beer palette so if we created an ipa that was a san diego standard which all san diego beers ipas are amazing because they're hoppy that's where i grew up with mm -hmm. but i knew that my friends in mexico whenever i would take a six-pack of I don't know, stone IPA, it would remain, the six pack would stay there because nobody would want to touch it even if I actively try to make them drink it. Oh, my, my in-laws from Bulgaria, they will not drink IPA. It's mm -mm. just, that's not how they roll. And it's they'll drink whiskey. You know, it's like, it's like whatever your palate is, but it's, you know, it, it's just not what they want. Exactly. You know? So we, you stuck, you stuck to your guns. Yes. And we did create the session IPA and the session IPA, we realized, yeah, it's an approachable beer. It has a hop aroma, but it's not super bitter, but we still wanted to create a beer that our market could approach, our market would like. And obviously, even IPA drinkers would actually like this session IPA. So it has enough hop character to please uh, any IPA lover. That's awesome. So City of Bell wins the uh, 
the the dreaded opening date that every <laughs> business owner hates. The every the ever every, pushing the, opening. The press always wants to know, and every business owner. If, hey, we would be open yesterday if it was up to me. Oh man, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we Valley Farm La Jolla would be open yesterday if it was up to Derek. <laughs> I promise you that. Uh, well. Fingers crossed, <clears throat> we want to have our doors open by the beginning of February. Worst, not worst, I wouldn't say worst case scenario of knock on wood, but best case scenario, beginning of February, if not mid-February, I'm pretty sure we should be open. Okay. Um, uh, we'll announce the opening, the uh, the grand opening date uh, pretty soon uh, at borderxbrewing.com. Uh, can send you over to our Facebook page. That's where we do most of our most promotion. Your, most promos- of- promotion through Facebook. Cool. Exactly. Well, that's how we met, so that works. Yeah. Um, so at Border X Brewing, that's their social handle. Correct. Everything uh, we talked about, even the articles, uh, will be in the show notes. Thanks to uh, these two hardworking gentlemen over here. Um, your beer is amazing from everything that I've heard. Uh, I've been down to Border X Brewing uh, with Bolt Complex, George Recoy. Very impressed with um, just everything that's happening in Barrio Logan. But to know that you guys are there, and like I said, running into you at the Facebook Insights panel, that was... Um, you know, if you're a business owner, if you want to get into business, don't be afraid of doing things outside of the box and, um, you never have time to do anything that's, you know, asking for more time of you <laughs> and more questions of you, but you never know, um, where those paths lead. I was, you know, very lucky to, uh, meet Martine, who's now, um, friend, family. Um, we're very excited. LA barbecue scene is blowing up, so I'm sure, uh, we're going to be up there. Hopefully, you guys are going to have a podcast studio that oh, we can yeah. uh, test out at some point <laughs> um, in the future and bring some barbecue guests on. But those of you guys that are interacting with the show, sending us direct messages, emailing us, um, Behind the Smoke Media, that's the website. Um, so you get our weekly emails. But uh, if you tag us, Behind the Smoke, um, hashtag Behind the Smoke, um, you get a chance to win this sexy Behind the Smoke mug. Um, for those of you that are watching on YouTube. Uh, this week, it's going out to Black Lantern BBQ. Um, Black Lantern BBQ. We appreciate it. Pitmaster Tyler, um, thanks for tagging us. Can, good luck with your barbecue journey. Uh, if you're ever in San Diego, please uh, visit us. Visit Valley Farm Market. Visit Cali Comfort and uh, come and get a beer down at Border X Brewing. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey guys, this is Sean and Derek, and we just really want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It means the world to us. We'd like you to go check out BehindTheSmokeMedia.com. That's our website where we have barbecue resources for you to help build your barbecue business. Uh, We also have events listed, so anything that's happening in the West Coast barbecue movement, uh, anything that's going on, we want you to go check that out so you can learn more and get involved. We also have show notes uh, from all the episodes. So anything we talked about in the episodes, you can find detailed show notes there. Um, Plus, you can just get in touch with us. It's important that uh, we're here as a resource for you. So please reach out. Let us know how Derek and I can help you with your barbecue journey. Uh, Get involved. Stay curious. And uh, follow us on social at Barbecue War Stories. Uh, We'll talk to you soon.